Baptism separates the tire kickers from the car buyers. Would you feel comfortable marrying someone who wanted to keep the marriage a secret? Neither does God. It's one thing to say in the privacy of your own heart that you are a sinner in need of a savior, but it's quite another to walk out of the shadows and stand before family and friends and colleagues to state publicly that Christ is your forgiver and master. This step raises the anti. Jesus commanded all his followers to prove it, to make the pledge by public demonstration and baptism. Among his final words was the universal command to go and make followers of all the people in all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Indeed, baptism is a vow, a sacred vow of the believer to follow Christ. Just as the wedding celebrates the fusion of two hearts, baptism celebrates the union of a sinner with Savior. We became part of Christ when we were baptized. Do do the bride and groom understand all of the implications of the wedding? No. Do they know every challenge or threat they will face? No. But they know they love each other and they vow to be faithful to the end. When a willing believer enters the water of baptism, does he know the implications of the vow? Does she know every temptation or challenge? No. But both know the love of God, and are responding to him. I love revisiting this description analogy from Max Lucado whenever we come to Baptism Sunday here at Mercy Hill Church, and that's where we are at next week. Um, There are no greater days of weighted celebration for a family than a wedding. And it's why I really love this, this analogy, because he lays it alongside the act of baptism, because there is no greater day of weighted celebration for the church than baptism. Max Lucado's illustration hints as to why this day is unlike any other day. What makes it so remarkable, what what it represents so profoundly. It is the declaration of a commitment and a responsibility that is unlike any other commitment. And, I, and when I say this, and as we talk about today, I want all of us to hear this. Um, those who are being baptized next week, those who have not yet been baptized in this room, and those of us who have been baptized. This message, I think, is just as important for us. For those of us who have taken these steps, it is just as important for us to reflect on what that step really means. You know how those of us who are joyously married find a sense of renewal in attending a wedding ceremony because we are reminded of the day we were married, the, the time we made the commitment. With a greater understanding, really, in hindsight, knowing what all of the challenges and, and all of the trials really represent. I want those of us who have been baptized to be reminded of what our baptism represents. And when I start thinking on what this baptism in my life really represents, the first representation that always jumps out at me is that it represents a profound decision. It represents the decision that I have decided to follow Jesus. How many of you guys remember this song? 
I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. When I was growing up, every single time we would come to baptism Sunday evening, uh, my pastor, Pastor Sam Peterson, used to lead the congregation in this song between every single person who was being baptized. The song continues and says, Though I may wander, I still will follow. Though I may wander, I still will follow. Though I may wander, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. There's a reason that this song has been identified with baptism, and there's a reason that baptism has been described as an act of following and identifying with Jesus. It is about following him. It is about seeing the act of Christ, the life of Christ, and saying, I'm going to go this way. How many of you guys remember and how many of you guys realize that true Christian baptism started with Christ? It began with him. We do see the act of baptism in the Jewish tradition, and specifically when, when there's a convert from, from paganism to Judaism. But it wasn't Christian baptism. And, and we do see John the Baptist baptizing people into a baptism of repentance. But Christ's act of baptism initiates what we as Christians call baptism. It, it reveals to us what it is for us to be baptized. Look at what we see recorded in the gospel, specifically the gospel of, uh, of Matt, Matthew in Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist is out in the wilderness baptizing people for repentance. And Jesus makes his way to the water. And John says this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn in unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came to Galilee, the Jordan, to John to be baptized. When John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. When we read this, what we see here is Christ's baptism. We see it recorded. We see the story laid out before us. But if we were to stop here, if this is where we were to end the story, all we would have here is one of the, another event in the narrative of the story of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus did. But the truth is, it doesn't end there. We just read this, as I said, in Matthew chapter 3. And if you turn the pages of your book in Matthew and go all the way to Matthew chapter 28, you hear Jesus Christ making a declaration about baptism. One of the last things he says to the disciples, one of the last instructions he gives to the disciples is this. 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus Christ didn't just say, this is a part of my story. But he said, this is to be the story for everyone. What I did, all who will come after me, I want them to follow me. Mark records the words of Christ even, I think, more emphatically when he says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Jesus calls us to follow him in baptism. He said, this wasn't just a a, a part of my story. This wasn't just a part of my narrative, but this is the calling of everyone who would come and follow me. Christ was baptized and he commands all all that would come after him to be baptized. And he calls us to do that to signify that we're following him. To make the declaration public that I will follow Jesus. But the declaration isn't just simply about following Jesus into water. But it is to signify your decision to follow him, period. Wherever he leads, it's where I go. Jesus was was powerfully insistent on an uncompromising call to follow in his footprints. If you've been here any period of time, you've heard me make reference to this numerous times how Jesus Christ defines the parameters of being a disciple in Luke chapter 9. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus here describes and explains his footprint call of following him. And and you have to notice something about it. What he describes following him as, the, the, the walking in his footprints as, sacrifice and suffering. Sacrifice and suffering. Both of those are important in understanding exactly what Jesus Christ is laying out for us. That we, if we are to follow him, must deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. For many of us, the idea of the cross of Jesus Christ, picking up the cross of Jesus Christ, when we look in hindsight of the work of Jesus Christ, it becomes a very romanticized idea. It's so romanticized that many of you here probably even have a cross hanging around your neck. But you realize that when Jesus Christ made made this declaration, when Jesus Christ said these things, the idea of the cross was not something that you'd wear around your neck. The cross was, was the instrument of shame. It was an instrument of torture. It was an instrument of death. It was total and complete sacrifice and suffering. Jesus Christ said, come and follow me on this path. Unless you think this call is separated from the call to follow him in baptism, I want you to look at Mark chapter 10. 
Jesus Christ is responding to the conversation from the sons of Zebedee, James and John, that are asking Jesus for the most important spots in heaven. They're going to him and say, can we each sit on either side of you once we come into glory? And Jesus said to them, do you not know what you are asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? As he makes this declaration to them, he's clearly saying, guys, I want you to understand, it is going to be a difficult cup. It's going to be a difficult baptism. When you choose to follow me, the path leads you to this place of suffering and sacrifice. And as I said earlier, it's so important for us to understand that calling in our lives as both. Jesus Christ didn't suffer just for the sake of suffering. He suffered in sacrifice to bring salvation to people. When Jesus Christ calls us, he's calling us to suffer in a way that helps, helps bring hope and life and salvation. To sacrifice of ourselves in that, to reflect on God himself. Jesus Christ in his suffering was bringing a sacrifice for our hope and salvation, but at the same time, he was reflecting the glory of God. This is our calling in our lives if we are to follow him. The point I'm trying to make is baptism represents your willing decision to follow Christ. It is not simply rote religiosity. It is not simply ceremonialism. It is saying, I will follow Jesus. His willingness to suffer for the redemption of others, his willingness to forgive those who mistreat him, his willingness to yield to the sovereignty of God, to follow his sacrifice, his graciousness, his loving kindness. That's what we declare in baptism, that we have made a decision to follow Jesus. For many of us who may have grown up in a Christian tradition that practiced infant baptism, this is why we as a church don't practice that. I, I, was, born, I was born into the, into the Catholic faith, and so I was baptized as a baby. And as much as there was something beautiful about that, something about the ceremonialism that, that had some real meaning to it, I was, I was given a godfather and a godmother, and I had relationships with them, and I knew them. But this wasn't my decision. It was a decision of my parents, which it reflects the beauty of their faith. But it was not my declaration. It was not me saying, I will follow Jesus. This is an important part. This is an important reality about what, what baptism really is about. It starts with us saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. This is our profound decision. Baptism is powerful because it represents a profound decision. But it's powerful also because it represents a new destiny. When we respond to the work of the Holy Spirit and take our stand in our decision to follow Christ, we chart for ourselves a new destiny. The, the, the outward act of baptism throughout Scripture represents the inward work of Christ. It is us saying, something new has taken place in me. I, I'm a new creation. I'm a new creature. And as a result of that, I have a new destiny. I have a new feature. There's a reason that we see 
so often in Scripture, immediately on the heels of commitment to Christ, the act of baptism. In Acts chapter 2, it records on the day of Pentecost, those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 people were added to the number of believers that day. Just take a moment and reflect on, on what took place in that day. Where the church was born, where the Spirit of God fell, where people received gifts and they testified and they prophesied in, in, in tongues they had never, never been taught. People heard their testimony about Jesus Christ and they received it following the message, uh, message of Peter. Immediately from that place, they went to the waters of baptism. Why? Because they were new. They had a new future. They had a new destiny. They had a new calling. In Acts chapter 8, it records that after Philip leads the Ethiopian to Christ, he says, look, here is the water. What is stopping me from being baptized? So both Philip and the other went down into the water and Philip baptized him. The Ethiopian eunuch realized he had changed. He had a new future. He had a, he, he, he had, he had a new destiny. And he wanted to make a public declaration, I am new in Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas leads the jailer, the jailer and, and his entire household to Christ. And then he leads them into the waters of baptism, it says. Then he and all his people were baptized immediately. The act of baptism represents a new place in Christ. This is where I think the Jewish tradition of baptism really reveals itself as this cleansing uh, uh, declaration, this, this transformation, this being set apart. In, in, in the Old Testament, when baptism would be used, it would be used for, when, when those who were pagans would be converted to, to Judaism. But even that was meant to reflect something um, even deeper in the Jewish faith, and that was the cleansing of the instruments in the temple. That those instruments in the temple were, were ceremonially washed in a way in which in which the declaration was, these are clean. These are purified. These are cleansed to be set apart as instruments for God. And so what we see in this is this declaration that we are now different. That when we walk into the waters of baptism, we are being set apart for God's sacred purpose. In fact, this is exactly what is, what is reflected in the story we read about Jesus Christ. Do you guys remember what took place when Jesus Christ came up out of the water? What, what, what happened? The voice of the Father came from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And from that point, Jesus Christ went into ministry. This was the inauguration, the launching point of, of his ministry. It was the declaration, this is my instrument set apart for my purposes. He has a new destiny, he has a new direction. All who walked into the waters of baptism have been given a new holy purpose for their heavenly Father. Look at how Paul uses the picture of baptism in Colossians 2. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your faith, flesh, God made available, made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. 
This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Paul uses a beautiful analogy of baptism here. He says, he says, in the old ways, what you had is you had people who were circumcised, and that circumcision under the old covenant what meant, to dis- meant to distinguish the Jews from those who were not Jews, those who were his people from those who were not his people. And he says, now baptism is that. You have been set apart, you have been washed, you have been made holy, and you've been given a new destiny. See how Paul uses this analogy in Romans chapter 6? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead for the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Just as Christ was raised from death to life, baptism represents us going down unclean and arising clean and set apart for the holy purposes of God. We have been given a new destiny. We rejoice because baptism represents that new destiny. You are no longer unclean. You are no longer sinners. But you have made pure. You have been made holy. You have been made set apart for the purpose of God, which is your new destiny. But it represents even more than that. It represents our decision to follow Christ. It represents our new destiny. But it also represents a new identity. The act of baptism represents not only an outward expression of an inward experience, but it is an outward expression of an outward identification. It declares not only what God has done in you, it is meant to declare what God has given you in this life because of who you are in Christ. And and I want us all to, to, to hear this because this element, I think, has gotten lost far too often in our modern incarnation of church. The act of baptism was always meant to mark your commitment to and your identification with the body of Christ. It was always meant to mark our commitment and identification with the church. It says, I am your brother now. I am your sister now. And all that that implies. For many of us in our Christian expression here in America, we like being a part of church. We like going to church, but we like church from a distance. We want to create space between us and others. And we want to create these situations in which people don't really know us and know our stuff. And we don't really know them and know their stuff. Because what we discover in that is we find ourselves quite often hurt. We find ourselves quite often offended. We find ourselves quite often broken by broken people. And so for us, we say, listen, yeah, I'm a Christian, but... And so we mark our time and we come a little bit late and we shake one hand maybe and we try and leave a little bit early so nobody really knows who we are and we don't have to know anybody else. But baptism, our baptism, was always meant to be this profound declaration of who it is I now identify with and the depths of that identification. I want you to hear how Dr. M.R. Dahan 
describes the act of baptism in the early church. He writes, in the early days of the church, baptism was a declaration that the believer was definitely identifying himself with that group of people who were called Christians, that group that were despised and hated. To be a Christian meant something. To identify yourself with those who were called Christians meant persecution, maybe death. It meant being ostracized from your family, shunned by your friends. And the one act, which was the final declaration of this identification, was baptism. As long as a man gathered with Christians, he was tolerated. But when, when, when once he submitted to baptism, he declared to all the world, I belong to this despised group. And immediately he was persecuted, hated, and despised. In baptism, therefore, the believer entered into the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. A person might be a believer and keep it strictly a secret and thus avoid unpleasantness and suffering. But once he submitted to a public baptism, he had burned his bridges behind him. How many of you guys realize that when you go into the waters of baptism, when you went into the waters of baptism, your declaration was, I identify with this despised group of people. Amen. That's our declaration. It's, it's even an understanding the fact that we're not, we may not be the most loved. We may not be the most accepted. Trust me, I know a lot of Christians that I have a hard time not despising. <laughs> but they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so there is a call in that that says not only do I find myself in a place where I identify with them, but that means I have a responsibility to them. I have a responsibility to love. I have a responsibility to care. I have a responsibility to bear with, to show mercy and grace towards. In fact, I want you to see what Paul writes in Ephesians 4 about this identification. He says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul, in this writing of Ephesians 4, was speaking specifically to what it takes to be the body of Christ. And he's talking about us coming to each other in humility. He's talking about us bearing with one another in love. And he says, and the reason for this is because not only do we have one Lord, but we have been entered into this responsibility, into this community by one baptism. We made the declaration that we're here for each other. We made the declaration that we're family when we walked into the waters of baptism. Paul makes this point again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. It's so important to understand that declaration. He says, listen guys, we are all baptized into one body. We've all been baptized into this. And it's not a question of the things that we like or don't like. It's not a question of what our socioeconomic status is or where we come from or what our color is or what our preferences are. It's one of the things that I think the American church really, really suffers from. 
We, we tend to go out of our way to create monogamous churches, like the, 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 these like, these like one, one uh, identity churches where we're like, we all look alike, we all like the same things, we're all the same. And Jesus Christ is like, dude, we're all one body. We're all one body and it shouldn't matter what we like or don't like. It shouldn't matter, it shouldn't matter, it shouldn't, it shouldn't matter what our color is or our color is. And should, none of that should make any difference. Because we were baptized into one body. It is the new identification with the body of Christ carrying with it all the implications of mutual responsibility and mutual commitment one to another. This is the beautiful identification that we have with the church. As I say, I get it. I understand the apprehension people have. Many of us have gone through different things in the church where we feel as though we've been mistreated or we feel as though we've been insulted or we feel as though we've been disrespected. How many of you guys realize when you get a bunch of people together, that can happen? But the beauty of what Christ calls us to is to have this, this remarkable, this, this, this beyond the human ability to forgive to love, to show mercy and grace one to another, to represent to one another what Jesus Christ did in us. And that's what you're declaring. You're willing to do when you enter the waters of baptism. I'm here to tell you that the church has the potential for far more beauty than ugliness when we renew this commitment to one another when we walk into those waters of baptism for the first time, when we remember the waters of baptism that we walked through in our past, when we renew our commitment to what it means to be a member of the body of Christ, there is such beauty that can come. Not because we become more perfect or not not because people will be less offensive, but because we are willing to be more gracious. We are willing to be more humble. We are willing to be more loving because we know what Jesus did for us. Baptism Sunday. What a day to rejoice and celebrate. What a day to reflect and recommit. We have this beautiful expression of the decision we made, of the destiny we have, of the identity we've been given. Let us take it and embrace it to its fullest. If you're planning to be baptized next Sunday, I want you to know this is what you're committing to. If you're here and you haven't been baptized yet and you're trying to decide, I want you to know you have the opportunity next week to commit to this beautiful place in Christ. You can leave the service and you can sign up in the, in, in the lobby. we got room for everyone. If you've been baptized, I want you to be reminded of the fact that this was your commitment. Understand who you are in Christ. You've been set apart. You have a a destiny that's been set out by him. You have an identity in the body of Christ. And as a result of that identity, you have a responsibility. The waters of baptism provide for us so much more beauty. Let's enter into that. Let's recommit to it. 
Let's see what God can bring about in our lives because of that.